0: ibs ibd i know people who've had crohn's disease go into remission from fasting it's happened definitely if you have SIBO really helpful to start fasting because if you think about SIBO as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth you starve those bacteria they're going to die down and that's one of the reasons why it can be really helpful for reducing overgrowth
1: if you guys have any kind of digestive issues or ibs or trying to lose weight or are super stressed out right now this episode is definitely for you i have dr molly maloof on the show today and she is a physician medical advisor and biohacker that focuses specifically on women's health and biochemistry Because biohacking for women is a lot different than for men. She is the author of The Spark Factor, which is the ultimate guide on how to supercharge your energy, become resilient, and feel better than ever through specific ways of female biohacking. In today's episode, we cover how stress and high cortisol causes weight gain and how that could be hindering your health goals, how intermittent fasting can help those with IBS, IBD, Crohn's and other types of autoimmune issues, why human connection is a non-negotiable and how even massages can help improve your mood. We also talk about who should be fasting, why low carb is beneficial, metabolism, burnout, setting boundaries for your health and so much more. Guys, this episode was fire. This is just the tip of the iceberg and I can't wait for you all to hear this entire episode. You don't want to miss a minute. You know you're listening to The Digest This Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany Cameron. Let's get into it. There's a new ingredient on the market proven to be just as effective as fluoride and completely non-toxic. We all know how fluoride can affect our health, and research continues to evolve. According to the International Association of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, Fluoride can contribute to acne and other skin conditions, high blood pressure, thyroid dysfunction, TMJ, and even neurological problems. And acute high level exposure to fluoride can lead to abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and even muscle spasms. Thankfully, this new fluoride replacement ingredient is just as effective for dental hygiene and much safer. You guys, this new ingredient is called hydroxyapatite and it's the active ingredient used in bite toothpaste non-toxic bits. Unlike fluoride, Hydroxyapatite works by remineralizing enamel from within, reaching the innermost part of a dental cavity, and it binds to plaque and harmful bacteria in our mouth. So if you're brushing your teeth daily, and I hope you are, that's a lot of exposure to chemicals that could potentially accumulate and take a toll on your health. So if you're brushing your teeth anyways, why not switch to a cleaner, more sustainable brand like Bite? Bite toothpaste bits have been in my household for over a year and my husband and I love using their fluoride-free tablets for our oral health. I even love their mouthwash tablets that are so convenient to travel with or just keep in your purse for a quick mouth refresher. For the mouthwash, you just bite down on a tablet with a bit of water, then swish it around in your mouth. You can even do this in your car. It's perfect on the go. And for the toothpaste bits, I typically take two at a time and chew them up in my mouth, wet my toothbrush, then start brushing. Bite also has a natural teeth whitening kit. So if you've been looking for a natural toothpaste without the paste, try Bite toothpaste tablets, which come in glass jars to help reduce plastic waste. Experience what I, my husband, and so many others are obsessed with. And right now, Byte is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybitecom digest or simply use code digest at checkout. Do you want free coconut cults? I am giving away two large jars of Coconut Cold's original chocolate flavor and their limited edition strawberry lemonade flavor to two of my podcast listeners for the month of September. This is $80 worth of organic, vegan, dairy-free coconut yogurt with living probiotic cultures. You can literally feel working right when it hits your tongue all the way down into your belly. You can't get this limited edition flavor in stores and you have to be a Coconut Cult member to even get their limited flavors unless you enter to win. All you have to do is rate and review this podcast to enter. That's it. So be sure to leave your Instagram handle in your review because that is how I will be reaching out to both winners. So again, if you want $80 worth of Coconut Colts Probiotic Vegan Yogurt in chocolate and their limited edition flavor, strawberry lemonade, just give this show a five-star rating and review. Good luck. Thank you so much, Dr. Molly, for coming on the show today where it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I really like to start my podcast just I'd like to dive in head first and just go like right into it. So first of all, you are an expert in several things. One is biohacking. Biohacking for women specifically because when people think of biohacking, it's not really said that there's certain things that men can follow and that women can follow. So can you explain as most of my listeners are women, why women should biohack differently?
0: What I noticed with women was that you meet these women who are struggling with weight loss and they're doing weightlifting, hip training, sauna, cold plunge. They're like, I'm doing everything I can. They're like, calorie restriction, exercise. And they're like, I'm eating right, I'm eating less, I'm exercising more and I'm not losing weight and then they're like i tried ketosis i tried fasting and and the thing is, is that's not that these things don't work for women it's that the doses that men are doing for these do not translate well to women's bodies so it's the dose is really the poison when it comes to this stuff like you can really optimize health through all of these different modalities but if you overdo them in a stressed body in a stressed mind you're just going to overflow the stress cup and women in particular seem to have less resilience to too many biohacking stressors, too many hormetic stressors. So it's not that they don't work, because actually they do work. You just can't overdo them. You can't do hours of HIIT training a week. These women that are going to classes and burning 700 calories in a HIIT session, like four times a week, it's crazy. There's women who are working out in in the gym and lifting weights seven days a week. There's women who are um, eating basically not eating enough to justify how much they're exercising. And what they're doing is getting relative energy deficiency of sport and they're getting hormone dysfunction. It's really about learning to use these different biohacking interventions as important tools in the toolbox for optimizing health, but not overloading your body's system so that you end up so stressed that you end up with weight gain because of cortisol excess. So cortisol is really the enemy here when it comes to um, biohacking. If you're overdoing all of these different interventions and in the in the setting of high stress states, you are gonna break the system. And I know this because I've done it to myself. And part, part of the reason why I wrote this book is because I was like literally at one point in my life doing HIIT training, doing weight training, doing yoga and going through an incredibly stressful period. And the the fasting I was doing just stopped working. The low carb eating just stopped working. I started gaining weight. And I'd been losing weight for a few months, and then there was just this—I hit a wall. And what you learn is that women who overdo biohacking will eventually lead; they all eventually get high cortisol states. And thus, in those cortisol, high cortisol states, stay around for too long, then you will end up with low cortisol, and then you're burned out. And so, what I've learned, especially when it comes to women that are struggling with weight loss, you really have to look at your emotional state while you're trying to do all of these interventions, because if you have a really stressed out emotional life that you're not really dealing with your feelings and you think that the weight, again, is from your lifestyle, sometimes it can be from the way that you're thinking about your, your life. Sometimes it can, it can be about the fact that you're just perseverating on I can't lose weight and it's literally causing extra stress on your system. And so oftentimes those are the women you have to tell to start doing less. And that's when their weight starts to come off is when they actually like start exercising less, start doing more recovery, start getting more recovery practices and start getting more meditation and spending more time with family and friends and even eating more consistently, especially if fasting and ketosis hasn't been working. That's actually when you want to just get into a really consistent rhythm of of meal planning. And don't get me wrong. I do use what fasting still and I do eat low carb, but I'm way less intense about it than I was in the past. Now, if I had diabetes or prediabetes, I would be a lot more strict with fasting. I would actually probably employ it more. But I don't have those anymore. And so another big thing you have to think about is like, what's your baseline metabolic status? What's your baseline metabolic health? And so somebody who's sedentary and obese is actually going to do great with fasting because it's basically an exercise mimetic. It's it's very similar to what exercise does to the body. So it's a great tool if you actually just don't move your body at all. Learning how to fast is, in, is something I teach women in my book. It's a great tool in the toolbox. But if you're like an athlete who's exercising consistently, and you start fasting a lot, and you're already not eating enough, you're actually going to degrade your performance. So learning all this stuff is really not always straightforward and intuitive, which is why I wrote a book on the topic. So I can really try to teach women that like there's a lot you can do to biohack, but don't overdo it. Don't overload the system. Don't overextend yourself because that's going to lead to problems down the road.
1: Yeah. And you speak all about this in your book, The Spark Factor, which everyone should get a copy of, by the way. And there's so many follow-up questions that I just have for you right now. So fasting, you're definitely a proponent of that for women, but- Definitely it- for
0: older women versus younger women in particular. Like, Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So women who are going through perimenopause and menopause are going to see estrogen declines. And if you don't start employing some form of metabolic training- you will actually, it's really not uncommon to end up with insulin resistance. But someone who's young, healthy, and super active exercise wise, getting a lot of the same benefits of fasting. So I wouldn't recommend a lot of fasting for someone who is trying to get pregnant or is not with, poly- if you don't have PCOS. If you don't have, um, if you, and especially if you have an eating disorder, a history of an eating disorder, I really wouldn't recommend a lot of fasting. So you have to be careful with who you recommend it to, but it's, I've seen a lot of women change their lives but also it can dysregulate your eating patterns. So you have to be really careful.
1: Sure. And when we're talking about fasting, we're talking about intermittent fasting, not like fasting for a day or- I still believe in extended fasting.
0: I think like a 24-hour fast once in a while and even a three-day fast once in a while can be fantastic for health. But the problem is like when you do something like what I did once, which was fasting every other day, In a young, fertile female, that is actually really, that's going to backfire long-term because that's going to lead to too much cortisol, as you can find out the hard way.
1: Mm, Yeah. And you had mentioned too that you were pre-diabetic. Is that correct?
0: I wasn't fully pre-diabetic. I was on the borderline. So I was like basically on the edge of it. And if I had continued down the path I was on, I would have ended up there. So I was able to reverse it through lifestyle and through blood sugar monitoring. And continuous focus monitoring is just now starting to become popularized, but I was using it in 2014, nine years ago, and I've been using it since. I use it probably quarterly just to keep track of where I'm at with my blood sugar metabolism.
1: Yeah, and I I do want to dig into cortisol as well because so many people are just stressed out to the max, whether that is actually just exercising because exercising is a stressor and it could be a good stressor, but if you're doing it so much and then people are working and exercising and then they have home and family life and it's just their cortisol levels are just raised so high. What tips can you give for someone that feels... Like they're constantly in a fight or flight mode.
0: If you're in, constantly in a fight or flight mode, you're under a significant amount of stress, and you probably have to really approach this from a bunch of different directions. So first and foremost, what's going on in your life? Are you conscious and aware of your biggest sources of stress? And so that's the first question: is where is your stress coming from? And, and then the question, then the next thing you have to address is what do you have control over? What do you not have control over? The things you don't have control over are unfortunately the things you have to learn to deal with and, or figure out how to get control over them. But the things that you do have control over, like for example, the things you don't have control over is the news. So if you're reading the news every day and you're freaking out and you're like, oh my God, the world's ending, you're just causing extra stress in your life. You don't have control over the news, turn it off. And so one of my friends was like, how have you not known about this thing that had happened? And I was in Europe and I was like, I don't know. Cause I was like working remotely from Europe and enjoying my life. And a lot of my stress has gone down from just not paying attention to the news cycle. And then you have to ask yourself, what do you have control over? And so we definitely get a lot of stress from work and from relationships. Now, if you're lucky, you can work through the inner world, which is basically reflected to you in the outer world. And so if your outer world is full of chaos, for example, there are people in my life that when they come to me, it's just always stress. And it's always chaos and i'm just like i've recently decided just to create bigger boundaries and just decide that i don't want that energy in my life and i'll tell them that look i don't want this energy in my field and so what you're feeling is not eggshells. what you're feeling is me putting my boundaries up and i think a lot of women struggle with boundaries even i have struggled with boundaries and it's something you have to learn and you have to practice exerting your boundaries And it doesn't make you a bitch and it doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a human that needs to actually can actually manage your energy. And I do not have energy for people that try to create chaos in my life. I just don't, I don't allow space for them anymore because I I don't need to. I've got enough going on in my life to deal with. And then also recognizing your relationship to yourself is really important. So meditation, I meditated for a few minutes today. I'm going to try to do another meditation session this afternoon, but basically like Meditation is what creates space between perception and reaction. And so the more that you can meditate and the more that you can employ that technique, you know, whatever different technique you use, the more that you are able to actually have a handle on stress and not feeling so much of the effects of stress. You can just observe that more. Recovery practices are really important. And actually changing your exercise regimen when you're under the most stress, really focusing on things like yoga and walking and just recovering from this whatever it is you're dealing with and being incredibly compassionate to yourself. And then also I bring in all the adaptogens. So like adaptogens and stress mediating supplements are really key because we co-evolved with plants and a lot of these adaptogens are designed to help you actually mitigate the stress response. So things like rhodiola, ashwagandha, chila jeet, turmeric, um, holy basil is one of my favorites. There's like ones from every single culture in the world. Medicinal mushrooms are great options. And so just bringing in those adaptogenic herbs, I even love hops extract, and moving away from coping with stress with alcohol or drugs and using things like, I love hop water, I love microdosing here and there, like marijuana, for example, microdosing is like something I will use under higher stress times. I don't use a lot of marijuana, but like maybe one milligram at a time in like an edible, uh, which is probably the lowest dose you can buy but I'm really about moving towards really healthy and sustainable ways of managing stress instead of unsustainable ways, which is like partying and going out and being reckless. A lot of people do that when they're stressed because they don't know how else to manage the energy that they've got going inside their bodies. Spending time with family and friends is really the number one source of stress reduction that I employ and doing things like sauna, doing things like spend time in nature, just like the basics are really helpful.
1: Yeah. You touched on so many good topics here. And and as far as boundaries go, it's so easy for women, especially to just give and they have that natural thing in them to just help others and give and always putting themselves last. And that's great, but you can't give unless you fill your own cup up first. And I feel like a lot of women are in that situation right now where they're just burnt out and yeah. they're not taking care of themselves. And so like mm-hmm. you said, it's not being rude necessarily. It's just t- taking a step back and making bigger boundaries to protect yourself otherwise you're not going to you're not going to last long and also less exercise and you had mentioned a lot of people may experience even weight loss when they exercise less because it's helping their cortisol levels go down and i know speaking from experience i really stopped working out pretty intensely back in 2020 and i just i walk now and i'm I mean, I don't really go hard at the gym. I don't really go to the gym at all. And Mm -hmm. I actually experienced some weight loss because of it. I wasn't intentionally trying to lose weight, but I was like, oh shoot, I should probably start lifting weights again because this is not good. Well, you got to be careful of muscle loss. Yeah.
0: I can put on muscle fast, but I can also lose it. And so like a month in Europe and I went from having this really nice butt I've been working on to losing some of the work that I put in this summer. And so now it's really about also just loving that your body can adapt to different demands. Like I love weight training and I also just got into Pilates and I'm like, you know what Pilates and swimming and yoga feels a little bit more feminine for me these days and walking and hiking. And so I'm really just, I'm still always going to weightlift and I'm always going to weight train because you really, it's a non-negotiable for longevity because your muscles are big basic power packs. And if you don't build muscle, you start losing it when you hit 40. And so it's really is important to eat enough protein and to actually get enough muscle. But that being said, I exercise because it makes me feel good, not because I'm trying to look a certain way. Like I love the way I feel when I'm getting exercise in. And I feel very different when I'm not exercising enough. So for me, it's more of a, how do I wanna feel versus how do I wanna look? Now, don't get me wrong. I certainly look better when I'm weight weight training, working out consistently. But my approach to it, because I I found a trainer who basically taught me that I was like overdoing it in the gym and that it was actually shorter workouts that were much slower. and I was lifting the weights and I was really moving in a much slower way that was actually leading to better gains and better outcomes in the gym. And I was like, oh, I can work out shorter and slower and it's easier. In some ways, it's like slightly harder, but it's because you're actually moving slower, but you can get way better results from less intensity. And And I think there's a time and a place for hit training, like five minutes, but not 50 minutes. You don't need 50 minutes of hit training. You need five minutes here or there, maybe 10. And it's funny because I'm obviously like, if I was training for a triathlon, it'd be a different story, but I'm not training for a triathlon right now. I'm training to just be fit and healthy and look the best I can. Just having a better relationship to fitness, and, and here's the thing, a lot of women are just sedentary, and they're listening to this, and they're like, this is not a pass for you to stay sedentary. If you are not moving your body at all, the number one thing you got to start doing is just walking more. But if you are moving your body consistently, then the next thing you got to do is you do need to incorporate certain forms of exercise, because you need a strong heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some uphill hiking today, because I know my heart needs to be built strong. I, I think it's something that you have to think about. Am I building my body so that's going li- to last a long time? And you do have to stress the body a bit in order to create a, a response, an adaptive response, but you don't need to stress yourself out around being perfect. You don't have, and like my book does recommend some cardio, some weight training, some flexibility and some hit. but that doesn't mean you have to do all of them all the time. It means that you need to find what works for you. And maybe for a few months, you focus on building your endurance. And maybe for a few months you start building your strength and maybe for a few months you start building flexibility, but just do what makes you feel good and focus on becoming better adapted to different demands.
1: Yeah. Those are great tips. And now I want to uh, also talk about the mitochondria just for a second, because now not eating enough can actually disrupt your mitochondria and metabolism, correct?
0: So I have a friend who's anorexic and she showed me her NutriBell test and it was literally the it was the worst I've seen it in what's, the world. What's like, a new, sorry. What is that? Is, you're in organic acid testing.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And it can show you your Krebs cycle and it can show you all sorts of things. And everything was thrown off in this woman. Every single system was down. And it was like really concerning, honestly. Like I was genuinely like, if you do not get help, you are not going to survive. Like it was super sad. And think it sucks about anorexia is it does kill people it's like one of the most deadly diseases to get it's super terrible but i know people who've healed from it i do i know people who just decided one day they weren't going to be anorexic they were going to change and they just got the will of god in them and they did it so it can be done but it's it takes a lot of internal drive and and commitment to to change, to change. and that's not easy to do
1: Yeah. And so for those that may not be necessarily anorexic or having eating disorder, but they're just not eating enough, how does that actually slow down their metabolism?
0: Your body basically, when you are not eating enough, says, okay, there's not enough food in the environment. So I'm going to turn down the thermostat and turn down the thyroid hormone and basically adapt to not having enough food. And so, the beauty of the body, especially a female body, is that it's able to adapt to lower food supplies to actually keep the tribe alive, to feed the children, which is cool, but not cool if you end up with thyroid dysfunction. I see thyroid dysfunction in in lots of people, men and women, super, super common in people who are very high stress and generally don't take as good care of themselves as they should. It's just, it's also inevitable with aging that people are going to start seeing thyroid typically go down after you hit. Thirty to forty, you start seeing a shift in your thyroid hormones. I do see a lot of people go on thyroid medicine just because of age, but it certainly seems like one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is an area of optimization. And a lot of people don't realize they have subclinical hypothyroidism, and so their doctors will just say your thyroid's in the normal range, it's no big deal. But it's not, maybe not being the maybe it's not in the optimal range, and a tiny bit of thyroid hormone can actually really boost a person's metabolism. But again, you have to talk to your doctor about that and find out if it's if you're a candidate and ideally a functional doctor
1: or naturopath. Okay, you guys, listen up. If you have the following symptoms such as constipation or diarrhea, anxiety, sugar or alcohol cravings, poor immune system, compulsive or disordered eating, low muscle mass, poor wound healing, slow recovery after workouts, heartburn or acid reflux, or digestive issues like colitis, IBS, diverticulitis, Crohn's, celiac disease, or symptoms from food sensitivities, Taking L-glutamine could be beneficial. L-glutamine is one of the most important nutrients for a healthy digestive tract because of its ability to maintain the integrity of the intestinal wall. This amino acid, which is the most abundant amino acid in our body, helps heal all human tissues, especially those irritated tissues in the digestive tract. It's also been known as the calming amino acid since it's very effective at reducing anxiety, as well as sugar and alcohol cravings. Even progressive addiction treatment centers will use it to help reduce cravings. Plus get this you guys, in a 2011 study published in the Yonsei Medical Journal found that glutamine supports the immune system and it's especially beneficial for patients in the hospital and those fighting viruses or overwhelming infections. Your entire immune immune system is protected from the toxic environment by your gut barrier and if that barrier gets damaged, you will get sick and create an overactive immune system producing inflammation throughout the body. Thankfully, a damaged gut lining can be reversed and can be accomplished by getting enough gut healing nutrients such as L-glutamine. Clinically, medical professionals have found this to be true with their clients, and I myself have experienced the benefits. That's why I created my very own L-glutamine powder under Bethany's Pantry. This powder is pure without any additives, fillers, flavorings, gums, or unnecessary ingredients. The ingredients are literally just one, L-glutamine. It's vegan, paleo, keto and tasteless. So you can literally just add it to a glass of water, stir for five seconds and sip without tasting anything. This amino acid also works well in smoothies mixed in yogurt. I've even added it to my guacamole. It dissolves instantly and you can't even tell it's there and your body will thank you from all the benefits you're giving it to fully heal in the area you need healing or just boosting your immune system in prep for the upcoming flu season. Guys, I am so proud to finally offer a clean L-glutamine powder. I can fully recommend. If you want a bag, just go to newzest-usa.com/bethany's pantry, where you'll find this plus all my other Bethany's pantry items. Again, go to newzest-usa.com/bethany's pantry. That's n-u-z-e-s-t-usa.com slash Bethany's Pantry. I'll also leave that link in today's show notes. If you're not subscribed to my newsletters, they come out every Friday and they're called Friday Finds. This is information that only my subscribers get in their inbox. I share stuff like non-toxic air fryers and kitchen appliances, new food finds, product recalls, food news, and food products that aren't even on the market yet. But I've got the scoop. This is not published anywhere else and cannot be found on my blog. So be sure you're in the know and subscribe to my weekly newsletters by going to littlesipper.com slash subscribe and enter your email. That's all you have to do. Go to L-I-L-S-I-P-E-R.com forward slash subscribe to get exclusive information on everything food. That's something too that people want to be careful of is when you intermittent fast or fasting in general, that can alter your metabolism maybe one way or another. So you really want to be careful when you do that. And do you have any recommendations for people that may want to maybe dip their toes into intermittent fasting, never done it before, what would you tell those people?
0: I would say that if you're just starting to fast, the question you have to ask yourself is, why am I doing this? And if you're doing it for optimal metabolic health, you want to get a fasting glucose to begin and a fasting insulin. And you want to look, where's your baseline? So if you're fasting insulin 10 or 15 and your fasting glucose is like 195 you definitely are gonna benefit from fasting. But if your fasting glucose is like 70 and your fasting insulin is two or three or four, you need to probably look at your lifestyle and ask yourself, do I really need to be fasting? Because this actually may not benefit you. Like you're already pretty metabolically well. I would just like first and foremost figure out why. Because I really think that fasting is best for people who have room to fast, room to improve metabolic health, room to improve the fasting glucose, room to improve the fasting insulin. Don't just like haphazardly start to fast. Get an idea of like where your where your baseline is. And then I had a client who had gained some weight and he was like, I gained some weight recently. And I was like, start intermittent fasting 16 hours. And he's like, okay, cool. Lost the weight in two weeks. It was like, no. And then I was like, maybe you want to actually cut back on that a little bit unless you want to keep losing weight. So this was a man, of course. But for a woman, you can start with 12 hours and then maybe go to 14. See how you feel at 14. And then if you're doing well at 14, go to 16. But always monitoring how you feel emotionally, and if there's ever a point where you start getting really ravenously hungry and you're like, "Wait, maybe going down too low," then you need to ask yourself, "Okay, maybe I want to maybe want to scoop back to 14 hours." But there's no real reason to like always be fasting unless you feel like you're gonna unless you feel like this is a lifestyle that's working for you and you feel really great about it. I go. I typically do around. 12 to 14 hours. And then sometimes I'll go 14 to 16 hours. And then sometimes I'll do 24 hours, like when I'm traveling. And I'm overdue for a longer fast, but I'll do that sometime when I am not about to launch a company.
1: So, Uh, Yeah. 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 That's super important. And for anyone that is maybe brand new to like intermittent fasting, it's really easy to even go 12 hours because that's basically when you're sleeping. Pretty much. So if you stop eating at, let's say, 7 p.m., by 7 a.m., you can have something to eat. And for a lot of people, fasting necessarily doesn't mean eating less calories because you can take in the same there's actually been studies on this so you can take in the same amount of calories just in a different time period and people have seen just great results not just yeah. with yeah not not just with weight what you're doing is
0: you're incre- you're doing what's called flipping the metabolic switch and when you flip the metabolic switch and you move from carb to fat metabolism you're training the body to be able to shift ear shift and when you're not able to gear shift, you get stuck and you have a really hard time with fasting because you're basically like, what happens is if someone's really metabolically inflexible and they try to start fasting, they just run out of cal- they run out of you know fuel and they're not able to gear shift. And so they can't break, they can't tap into their ketones easily. So they feel like crap. Now, this can happen to somebody who's carb adapted and is an, as an athlete and tries to run a triathlon and runs out of fuel. They can bonk, that's what it's called. So training your metabolism to metabolize fat can take a few months. So sometimes I recommend people go into a low carb diet for a while just to get your body more fat adapted. Even ketosis for a few weeks could be really helpful to get fat adapted. And especially if you're obese and overweight and struggling with metabolic flexibility, it can take a few months to get fat adapted. So you may have to eat low carb or even keto for like more than a month or two to actually get to that place where you're able to gear shift and then you have to go and learn how to flip back into carb metabolism so it can be a real challenge to learn all of this which is why there are tools that you can try things like the lumen you can use my code dr molly things like a continuous glucose monitor from companies like levels things like that can be great tools in the toolbox you can even buy a ketone monitor and just measure to see if you're burning ketones and it's a really fun kind of thing to learn about your body through through data.
1: Yeah, and for me personally, I know that for when I intermittent fast, it gives my digestion a break. So a lot of people listening yes. have gut issues. And when your body is not constantly working to digest food and break things down, yeah. it has the ability and time to heal and rest as opposed to yeah. just constantly working. So for anyone with IBS, definitely maybe check that out. Is that something you would recommend
0: for those? IBS, IBD. I know people who've had Crohn's disease go into remission from fasting. It's happened. It's I've seen it. Definitely, if you have SIBO, really helpful to start fasting because you basically, if you think about SIBO as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you starve those bacteria, they're going to die down. And i am that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I don't think I have SIBO right now, but I've had it in the past. And it can be really helpful for reducing overgrowth.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. So for a lot of people, they're not doing it to lose weight necessarily, but they actually feel good and have more energy and yeah. all that stuff. It's amazing. I can personally just focus on something and think clear because I'm not like constantly yeah. digesting food. Totally. I completely get it. And you can get, a, you get a, a bit of
0: stress hormone release, which is fun sometimes to get a little bit of extra cortisol. Sorry, a little extra. catecholamines like epinephrine, norepinephrine, you're getting like natural Adderall when you're fasting, which can be nice. Wow. But that's another reason to be careful with it because if you are really stressed out, it's not the time to fast. It's like the time to fast is when you're actually stress neutral and you're like in a good place with stress because now you're like, okay, there's some room for me to really push it and actually like stress my body a little bit in order to become stronger.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're going back to stress. I feel like that is the root cause of just so many different issues. And I want to talk about a little bit about negative thoughts and sure. how do negative thoughts and being around toxic people affect our physical health?
0: First and foremost, emotions are contagious, right? So if emotions are contagious, like I, I have this thing that I notice now when someone texts me something that I like, like really didn't want to read. I'll feel the emotions, bubbling up in my body. I'm like, oh, wow, you're feeling emotional. Something's coming. Like you're feeling something. And then I'll be like, how do you want to feel right now? And I'll be like, I don't really want to feel this way. So then I just pause and I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait to react to this when I'm actually in a place where I'm going to be measured. Very importantly, to just notice how you feel when you're with people and ask yourself, is this how you want to feel? And if consistently you feel a certain way that's not positive around someone, then the question is, do you want this energy in your life? And we have electromagnetic fields coming from our minds and our hearts. And it's measured in things like EEG from our brain and and EKG from the heart. So we literally are electromagnetic beings that are creating signals. And a lot of communication is body language. A lot of communication is, is like how we're, how people feel when they're with us. And I always take it as a really good compliment when someone says, I have good energy. It's like, Thank you. I've worked hard on that. But also for me, a lot of it is I don't want to call in energy into my life that is negative or aggressive. I'm working on developing balance and harmony. In order to do that, you got to surround yourself with people that are balanced and harmonious, including yourself. So that's the way I see it.
1: Yeah. And when you're just constantly bombarded with negative thoughts, and it could be negative thoughts that you're giving yourself and- it's hard to maybe get out of that rut. So what kind of advice do you have if someone is just constantly having negative thoughts about themselves or maybe they're just, they're untrue thoughts and they need to get out of that little cycle?
0: So sometimes I wake up with anxiety in the mornings because I've got stuff going on. Oftentimes, like I first and foremost, women need to track their cycles because it's not uncommon the week before your period to be anxious. And really important to know that, oh, this is my pattern that I'm feeling anxious before my period. Another big one is a lot of women have blood sugar dysregulation, and they have no idea that that's what's And they're going up and down the glycemic roller coaster and they're having mood swings, and it's, hey, get your blood sugar under control. So first of all, once you have to ask yourself, is this biological or is this psychological? And there's so many reasons to have biologically sourced mood issues that I don't think enough people are fully aware of how their living is affecting their, their, their reactivity. So there's a great book called Brain Energy by Christopher Palmer. And it's basically suggests that a lot of mental illness is actually mitochondrial in nature. So very importantly, just as important as to, to get your mitochondria in order for optimal health, physically is optimal health mentally. But I just also believe in practicing this kind of practice I learned through this guy, Jeffrey Martin, who's a pretty well-known meditation teacher and psychologist. And basically you just say cancel whenever you um, have a negative thought in your head that you don't want to think. So like negative thoughts are prayer for things that we don't want to happen. So like, why would I want to affirm that kind of reality? So I'm always watching my thoughts in order to create a better reality for myself, and I've seen some really cool things recently. If you're in a, if you're stuck in a rut, then how would, what would a main character in your position go do next? Like, how would they change the scene of the story? What would be the next activity that they would go do? And I'm just a big believer of using your thoughts to change your reality from the inside out, and really, like, really reflecting on your life and asking yourself, where do I need to change things? If you're seeing consistent patterns of negativity, what is underneath that? Where is that coming from? Maybe it's an unresolved traumatic experience. Maybe it's unresolved stuff around your parents. Maybe you need to go see a therapist. There's a lot of different types of great therapy that are out there. And I'm a big fan of somatic therapies. If you haven't done baseline therapy to understand the roots of your distress, then maybe work with a professional. There's therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy. It's all around emotional emotional control. There's internal family systems therapy. Which is all about really understanding and naming the parts of yourself that are struggling through different different challenges and which part is showing up to behave in which way in which situation. And so the more awareness you can have around yourself and who you are and your patterns and behaviors, the more that you can move through them. But it's easier for me to say I've had 10 years of personal growth behind me, but it works if you do the work. So it's like you just you need to just consistently be working on yourself and in a way that's compassionate not in a way that's like self-flagellation.
1: And how important is human connection when it comes to our health?
0: If not the most important thing, it's the number one thing that's brought me more well-being in the last 10 years of my life is human relationships and connection and support. I feel incredibly resourced when I'm surrounded by people that love and care about me. And I've worked extraordinarily hard in building networks of people in different cities in the world where I can feel safe and included. People really underestimate what, all you have to do is go back to feeling like what it's like to be in in high school and grade school and being ostracized in any way to know that it really hurts to not be included. I'm the kind of person who's always trying to build community around me and create the conditions where people can hang out together and enjoy life together. I'm definitely more of an active participant in creating community than the average person, but that's because I don't, I'm 39 years old. I like no longer fear the awkwardness of social interaction. I just enjoy meeting people and going places. And I just realized everyone's awkward. So like, why do I, I don't really need to be awkward anymore. Yeah. I go out of my way to just try to treat others the way I want to be treated and just consistently working on acknowledging how my behaviors and actions are making other people feel. And the more that you can do that and really just start to develop really significant empathy for other people like over and over and a lot of people just don't realize that their actions have consequences on others. So I think women are generally naturally more empathetic, but I think anyone can learn to become more empathetic by just examining how, you're, how your actions make other people feel and how other people's actions make you feel and like working to try to reflect the best reality you can through your actions with others.
1: Yeah, and human connection can help with depression. It can help with just so many different things, and you start to see your physical health improve just from being around people, and even the physical touch. A lot of people, oh yeah, people aren't being touched anymore. Isn't that I know. sad? I've been using. I've been getting
0: massage for seven years now, and it's non-negotiable investment in my health. Because if you're not getting touched regularly, you need to get massage, and. Finding a great masseuse is like finding a really great healer because touch is healing. It releases oxytocin. It's a natural anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. It's protective to the heart and the mitochondria. But on top of that, loneliness is worse for your health than smoking, drinking, sedentary behavior, and obesity. So it's super, super important to recognize that you need social connection for health. You need to optimize your capacity to connect because you're just going to be a happier, healthier human.
1: Yeah, you really will start to see just those little health issues just diminish. Now, but what about those people that are maybe on the other end of the spectrum? Their cortisol levels are high because, wow, their work life, their social life is maybe a little bit too extreme Do you know what I'm saying? And they're just the social butterfly and they're just hopping from one event to the next and their cortisol levels are super high because they're not taking time maybe to just breathe and settle down.
0: I feel like you're talking to me last year (laughs) because I was working crazy amounts and then I was partying in between working and it was not a sustainable lifestyle, let me tell you, but it was probably the most achievement-oriented year that I've had. I had to take a really hard look at my lifestyle in the spring of this year when I had finished launching the book. And I had to be like, okay, there's obviously something that is not sustainable here about how much I am getting done during the day and how much I'm not taking time off enough on weekends. And so I have really incorporated a lot more recovery into my life in the last few months and I've gotten even more productive. It's funny, like I definitely cut a lot of things out of my life that were not serving me and really just been editing so much of my existence, because I got a lot of feedback from people that were like, Molly, you don't need to do everything all the time, all at once. You can slow down and it's okay. You're going to get a lot more done by just doing less. There's a really great book called Do Less. It's written by a woman and it's women need to take much better care of themselves. And I thought I was superwoman. I really did think I could just, I was invincible. And turns out that like you're human and humans need time off. We need to recharge the batteries. So, um, especially women, yeah, women do too. Women need to learn how to receive too. So one of the things that I've been really practicing the last few months is just being more receptive in general to my employees, to the men that I interact with and like just being more of a a receiving mode, recognizing when I'm being in the giving mode and the aggressive mode and being more in the receptive mode. And that's a pretty amazing shift of just being because it feels just more effortless. And one of my meditation teachers always said to me, oh, you know that you can work with effortless ease. I'm like, what are you talking about? What does that even mean? But like more and more, I'm like letting my life become more flow and become more easeful, become more supported and just having more people around me to help me move things forward and just trusting and being more aware of like the kind of energy that I'm bringing to what I'm trying to bring into the world. And I'm launching a company right now and I still have clients and I'm still promoting a book and still traveling and I'm still building things and I do a lot of stuff and I'm feeling really good about it all. My company is developing the first psychosomatic sex therapy that's being studied clinically for improving sexual satisfaction as well as reducing dysfunction. And we think it may even have, we think it has impacts on intimacy and attachment as well. So we're launching this company and it's called Adamo. And like literally right now, it's coming out, and we're we're gonna we're gonna be doing our first cohort in a month in the middle of October. and so it's just this it's this very exciting time, and I'm trying to approach it from not a place of like intense overwhelm, but from a place of just calling in the success that's coming, calling in the like beautiful offering that we're giving in the world that's teaching people around how to connect more intimately.
1: Wow, so much is going on, but it sounds like, because of your past experiences, you're handling it all really well.
0: In the redwoods right now. I had a massage yesterday. I spent the whole day with friends, did some sauna and cold plunge. I had a beautiful morning and just had a lovely day. And I, I needed a full day of recovery. Saturday was a big event, and so it was. It felt like a work event too because I was like networking. Saturday was like a full on day, so I really needed a full day of recovery. And I woke up today and I was like, oh shoot, I got to send that email and I got to do this thing, and I'm like. All in divine timing. It's all going to be, it's all going to it's all going to manifest.
1: And I think it all goes back to just taking a step back and really trying to reduce your cortisol levels. That's I think just key because stress, it just keeps yeah. popping up. It keeps popping up stress. It causes this, that, and the other. And avoiding burnout. And people that are maybe trying to figure out their health issues. They're trying to lose weight. Like obesity, by 2030, I'm sure you've seen this, by 2030, half of the US population will be obese. Not overweight, obese by 2030. And I'm sure that's caused by endocrine disruptors and the foods that we're eating, but also stress because that definitely affects everything.
0: Yeah, it's like a combination of having enormous amounts of stress in the news cycle, which is really raising cortisol for people. And then people feeding their fear with all the fast food that's in the commercials. So just stop watching TV. How about that? Yeah. And get a massage. (laughs) A lot of people just aren't also aware that obesity is often a reflection of unresolved pain and trauma not all the cases, but a lot of the cases, people are really eating their feelings of the pain that they've never dealt with. And I've never met an obese person that didn't have some form of unresolved trauma, to be honest with you. And I really think that like people underestimate how important it is to really dig under the surface and really examine like why this weight is protecting you in some way and having compassion for that part of you that feels traumatized or unloved and feels a lot of fear around reality and is using food to pacify the way they don't wanna feel. It's the biggest addiction in the country is food. And then there's alcohol and then there's cigarettes. And it's they're all addictions and they're all ways of coping with reality. And it doesn't have to be your life. You don't have to suffer like this. But the sad thing is that these young people are getting sicker and sicker, younger and younger, and frankly, more and more overweight. And they're setting themselves up for lives of hormone dysfunction. It is really challenging to actually maintain weight loss, but it can be done, but it takes a commitment to a totally different lifestyle and consistency with that commitment. And then you have to learn how to deal with your emotions.
1: Mm, yeah, I do believe that it all does start in the mind and being addicted to food, it, it's different than having an addiction to like maybe drugs or alcohol because like you need food to survive. You don't need drugs or alcohol to live, right? but you need food so you still have to have it around you as opposed yeah. to the alcohol you can take that out of your life you can I'm not saying that's I'm not downplaying right. all these other addictions not it's not what I'm saying but I'm just saying you you need food and it still has to be in your life as opposed to maybe a alcoholic that has recovered and they're like no I just don't drink alcohol people can't say no I just don't eat food like yeah. you have to have it
0: I just don't eat wheat and I'm like unfortunately moving into a place where I don't really need to eat dairy, which sucks because I love dairy so much, but it's not serving me anymore. And, and I'm also going back into the state of, I just don't eat a lot of sugar. If you just say, I don't eat these things, then it's easy. And honestly, like I tell people just because I don't eat this doesn't mean you can. I'm not here to tell you what you can and cannot eat. If you want to follow my diet and lifestyle, great. That's what works for me but not everybody is gonna eat paleo and low carb. Like that's not what's meant for everybody, but that's what works for me. And um, I find it to be the easiest way to maintain a healthy um, body and healthy mind. But I really enjoy food. And I had some honey yesterday and I really enjoyed it. And I had some, I did eat some goat cheese yesterday, which I, I think goat cheese is probably the only cheese I can probably eat a little bit of right now. But it was a very small amount. And yeah, I think it's really important to ask yourself, like if something in your diet is not serving you, then just say, I don't eat this. Now, I met a woman last weekend. It was really beautiful. had a lot of wrinkles. And she was basically saying how addicted she was to sugar and how the sugar was everywhere all over her house. And I was like, the first step is getting rid of it. First step is just not having the things in the house that you don't want to eat. Because you're going to eat them if they're there. So first and foremost, take the things out that you don't want to eat. And if they're not there, you're not going to eat them.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, get it out of your house. Don't even buy it at the grocery store. And it takes a while to, for sugar specifically to just strip your palate. Now, I have to ask, what is a typical day in eating for you? Share, because I'm sure people want to know.
0: Yesterday was like, I guess it's not the most typical day yesterday because... I did indulge, I did have a cookie yesterday. There's a gluten-free bakery here and I never ever make gluten-free cookies or I don't really, I used to make them, but I don't make them right now and Flower Craft Bakery in Mill Valley is like one of the best gluten-free bakeries in the world. And so I had a tahini cookie and I enjoyed it thoroughly. I really enjoyed that cookie yesterday. It was part of my breakfast and I had some coffee with it, which was great. And then yesterday was not a super normal day. I so I, I, I don't think we should use yesterday as a normal day because mostly what I made was a bunch of snacks for my friends. And so I just, we had, I ate a bunch of snacks yesterday. So we had all great, we made olives. I had some goat cheese with- You're on vacation
1: right now. Uh, yeah. I so have, like, sort like of typical, vacation. if you're at home- if like, t- I'm at home, my, my yeah. typical
0: home in Austin meal day is I'll make a smoothie in the morning after I've worked out, I will- I will. I'll usually have some calories in my elixir before I work out. I'll make either a matcha or a coffee, and there'll be some form of calorie. Usually, some form of creamer that I've got around the house. Whether I'm making like, I don't always make bulletproof, but sometimes I'll do that. Sometimes I'll make. Sometimes I'll just have steam some hazel hazelnut milk, or sometimes I'll make my own hazelnut milk. But I'll like either make like a matcha latte or like just my own concoction with coffee if I'm drinking coffee because I go in and out of drinking coffee.
1: Now That's at this the point. Are you That's intermittent the, fasting?
0: Typically, I'll get at least 12 to 14 hours in overnight, but you want to get a few calories in the morning before you work out, just because women should probably not work out on an empty stomach completely. So I'll make like a matcha. I'll usually use like the Khalifa barista blend and make like an iced matcha, or I'll make like a hot coffee and have some creamer in it of some sort. So I'll have some calories before And usually I'll add some collagen So I like to get a little bit of protein in before I'll start the workout in the morning. And then I'll come back and get like a full smoothie with 30 grams of protein in that smoothie usually. And then that'll be like berries or, I'll usually make a mix of berries and veggies in my smoothie with the Quip protein and collagen protein. And then I'll add like other adaptogens, nootropics, whatever it is that I'm I'm like trying to optimize for. Usually if I'm trying to optimize my gut health then I'll add like different powders, and different products for optimizing gut function. So after a smoothie, usually midday is some form of meat and vegetables, meat and veggies, uh, nuts and seeds, fruits are typically what my diet's made out of. So lunch could be like some protein with a plate of vegetables covered in olive oil and some spices. So I'll cut up like jicama and carrots and celery and peppers and radishes. And sometimes I'll even like the the varied veggies I usually do. I'll I'll sometimes have steamed cauliflower or steamed broccoli in the fridge. And I'll just douse that with tons of high quality extra virgin olive oil directed from Italy that I get from a friend. And then I'll cover that with, depending on what I'm feeling like spice wise, I'll, I have a chili lime blend or I'll have an herbs de Provence blend, salt and pepper, and then I'll have some protein on the side of that. And then dinner is usually something similar. Maybe I'll have some roasted veggies with some meat, or maybe I'll have a filet with some veggies on the side, but I'll go in and out of eating more or less carbs. So some, sometimes I'll have like acorn squash roasted, butternut squash roasted, especially if I'm doing harder workouts. And sometimes I'll do less. When I was in Europe, I definitely ate more gluten free bread than I normally eat in America, which I'm not a huge fan of flour-based foods in general, but I did eat indulge when I was in Europe, but I, my diet's pretty low carb most days. And then I'll increase the carbs depending on my activity levels and what I'm doing for fitness. There might be an apple with some almond butter thrown in there. There might be like ap- apples and almond butter, apples and al- I'll make homemade nut butters.
1: I love apples um, and almond butter.
0: Yeah. And then I also like dates with almond butter and dark chocolate. So I'll make a bunch of those and have those in the fridge. Or I'll make like date turtles, have one of those laying around. So I do get like treats. Like I do make really tasty treats. And then there's usually like another elixir in the during the day, like an afternoon, I'll have another beverage, another hot beverage. And then I'll usually be drinking teas throughout the day. So there's the, the, I'm definitely trying to maintain hydration throughout the day with like different herbal teas and different options there.
1: It sounds like a great diet and great day of eating. You're making yeah. me hungry. It's still morning.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's really not that complicated. It's like roasted veggies, raw veggies, steamed veggies, fruits and vegetables, nuts. I'll make, I make my own crackers, my own seed crackers. I make my own spreads, I make many different kinds of hummuses, although I'm taking a break from legumes right now. So I'm moving more towards AIP for the time being, because I got some lab results back that were like implied that I need to like, be a little bit more rigid with my diet. I have celiac and so having one autoimmune condition will predispose you for more. And so I'm really trying to not end up with more autoimmunity. So I'm like moving more towards an AIP type diet. It's not for everybody, but if you're like me and you're prone to um, autoimmunity and your body, you can sense there's some inflammation, um, which by the way, I think was an end result of being in Europe and being a little bit lax with my diet when I was abroad. I'm just like working on optimizing to get back to my my the diet that I w- I was on when I lived in California
1: And you have to do what works for you. And this is a great takeaway for everyone listening is that, you know, you have to do what works for you and don't judge others because of what they're doing for their body. They may have an autoimmune condition or they may be doing paleo or AIP for a time being or low carb. So don't don't judge them for what they're doing. Go support them because they're doing their best and you do your best and what you need to do for your body. Exactly. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Molly, for coming on the show today. Your book, The Spark Factor is out now. So go grab a copy. Thank you so much again for all your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of Digest This comes one of Apple Podcast's top 10 nutrition shows hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.